0: Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, May 1st, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going this week?
1: Very good. Thank you, Graham.
0: So I guess I should wish a happy May Day to those celebrating in Europe. Is it a, is it a holiday in the UK? I know it is here in
1: France. We've got several holidays coming up.
0: <laughs> yeah, May is packed with them in Europe. Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, we've got
1: coronation uh, the following week.
0: Oh, right. So That's right. So we've got a right. holiday for yeah. that. There you go. <laughs> so uh, how are things otherwise? I mean, is there, are, are, we, are, are there still some deadlines coming up? I mean, I, I know we want to talk, there's some big news stuff still happening in our space, but what about deadlines and things? Anything going on there?
1: Yeah, some of the round three deadlines are wrapping up. So next week, okay. Top, McDonough, McCombs, are amongst the schools that are scheduled to release their round three decisions.
0: Oh, wow, okay.
1: Um, as well as Tapper, mm-hmm. Um And um, yeah, I think Fuqua too. And then some schools have like round four deadlines. So we just seem to be going on and on. And obviously the later these rounds, the shorter the turnaround time is to get decisions out. Yeah, that makes sense. So the big thing- Ross Ross too, I forgot to mention. Oh, wow. Yeah,
0: Yeah. Yeah. so it's just busy. And I guess yeah. Uh, we're, yeah, and then there's going to be deferred enrollment news in terms of people getting interviews yeah. for that. So it's still a busy time uh, and busier than usual because of some of these extended rounds this year due to the layoffs and, and schools looking to get additional app- application volume. Speaking of all that, I wanted to talk about the U.S. news rankings because last week we previewed it and, and talked about how there was some commotion around it and it was delayed. And so it's now out. You know, we did an article on our site. I'm sure most people tuning in have seen these rankings. But I just thought it'd be interesting to kind of run through it. I mean, do you have any initial thoughts on like what 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 to make of it?
1: <laughs> well, congratulations to Booth, right? Two years in a row and surviving a, a, a switch in the algorithm too. So, so they're obviously doing something right yeah. in Chicago.
0: And, um, and but, actually, but, but, yeah. before yeah. you go on, I should mention, so in case someone hasn't seen it, so Booth came in first, Kellogg second, Wharton third, MIT fourth, Uh, Harvard was fifth. Stanford and Dartmouth tied for sixth. And then Yale and Ross were tied at eighth. And Stern rounded out the top 10 at number 10. Uh, Columbia was right after them at 11. So anyway, it goes on from there. But those were the basic, um, you know, kind of top 10 stuff. I guess I should mention, since we normally talk about top 16, after Columbia was Duke and then uh, Berkeley. Those were all tied for 11, actually, with Columbia. So Duke, Columbia, and uh, California Berkeley are all number 11 and then we get Darden at number 14 Cornell 15 tied with USC Marshall and then the last one that I'll mention is Emory at number 17 so they kind of um, moved up a bit but yeah so what any any initial take on this stuff cuz I know you're you have a strong opinion about these rankings
1: and Tep is number 18 just in case anybody knew yeah. wanted to know <laughs> and right. 19 but yeah. but yeah I mean it's again they they've got most of the right schools in the top 16, the order we can debate and argue with, they've obviously changed how they rank these schools. I'm sure you'll talk about that; those specific changes um, yeah, shortly. But again, these ordinal rankings don't do us a lot of good, I don't think. Um, and, you know, to have a ranking that lists Harvard fifth and Stanford tied for sixth, is ridiculous and I'll just leave it at that. And and it's a shame because U.S. news used to be, in my mind anyway, the gold standard for U.S.-based programs.
0: Yeah, I would agree. And the thing that, um, so let's talk about this stuff. So the, the first thing that they did is they they pretty dramatically changed the methodology this year. And, and what they basically have done is, they used to devote about 35% of the weighting in the ranking to career outcomes. And by career outcomes, it's really three things. It's what percentage of the class has a job upon graduation of those seeking a job, I believe. Um, And then what percentage of the class has a job three months after graduation And then the final piece is what's the average starting salary and bonus for people in that graduating class. And so they've taken that and and what used to be 35% of the ranking is now 50% of the ranking. And, And so that's a pretty big shift. And, You know, I mean, there are a number of things we could talk about. Well, one of the things that really struck me is U.S. news had always been known as the ranking. I mean, I always viewed each ranking as having its own kind of angle. And U.S. news's angle was on kind of selectivity. And prestige, and kind of the academic reputation of the program, and the caliber of students that you're going to be studying with. I mean, sure, they've always had career outcomes in there too, but it seemed to me like this piece about who's getting in and how selective is this school was really taking front and center stage when you think of the U.S. News ranking, and that's kind of faded now. And and you know, I, I think similarly, you could say that Business Week was known to be all about sort of. I guess you could almost call it like customer satisfaction. You know, the Bloomberg Business Week ranking was all about are students happy in the program and what do recruiters think of the students they're hiring from these programs? And then over on the other side, you know, the FT was an interesting ranking and, and still is because it combines U.S. and international programs into a single ranking. You know, we debate whether that's a good idea or not, but it's known for that and it's also known as being really about what is uh, the kind of career outcome several years out? I think they look at alumni salaries three plus years out or something. And so it's it's more of an ROI type ranking. Um, and so what's weird though, is that with each iteration, all these rankings have been tweaking their methodologies and they've all started to look more and more similar. And so, you know, as a result, like the same, I think it's like 15 out of these top 16 in US news are also in, you know, the FT and the the Bloomberg Business Week ranking. So the, everything's becoming a bit, you know, muddled together and, and less distinct to me.
1: Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'm trying to ponder, like trying to make sense of, let's say, Stern, right? Mm-hmm. They're ranked number 10. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably actually a pretty good proxy of where they sit in the tiers and so on and so forth. Sure. But but why would they be ranked a point above um, Columbia, Right. So, you know, many would argue that Colombia is in a higher tier than Stern. Um, so, so, you know, ha- how does Stern end up in front of Colombia and how does, you know, f- for the same matter, Marshall end up in front of Anderson? They're both neighbours in their geographic areas. That's why I'm mm-hmm. picking on Stern and, and Colombia. So one answer for, for the Stern and Colombia um, situation um if, if, if you if you change in your, your the ranking methodology and mm-hmm. it 's all about outcomes um i 'm guessing stern 's class is more concentrated in New York City than even columbia 's class yeah, and as a result is getting a higher pay grade um on on aggregate um because the cost of living in New York City is very high and and you know that 's where all the very very high paying jobs are yeah um and maybe Colombia's grads are, are, are being dispersed a little bit further afield.
0: Yeah, it's a good question, um, and I'm not. Yeah.
1: yeah, I don't know if that explains it, but th- this whole idea that outcomes matters most, I think, needs to be challenged. You challenge it. I know that. Yeah. Um, personally, I know you challenge it. Yeah. But it's fraught with 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 problems. Because, you know, if you do send the majority of your your students into New York City, you're an advantage because that's where more of the high paying jobs are. If you're in a different geography um, or at least that's where your um, you know, class is going into different geographies, you're going to be at a disadvantage.
0: Right. And. It creates strange incentives, too. So just as schools may be over-focused on test scores and GPAs and some of those counting stats when a lot of the rankings were based around selectivity and the caliber of students admitted, you know, the risk here is that, oh, schools are going to people, you know, they're going to say, well, if we want to move up in the rankings, we just need to place as many of our graduates as possible into consulting and banking jobs and those or any post that's kind of high paying and, you know, sort of a conservative yeah. path, you know. And so in that way, we'll get big numbers there and, and we'll, we'll come out on top. And so the danger there is, you know, at the same time, you have a population of applicant that's increasingly interested in other fields, you know, sustainability and, and, and fields that, you know, entrepreneurship, things that maybe aren't as high paying or as traditional. And so, yeah, there's kind of a weird set of incentives in play and yeah, someone needs to challenge it. I, I personally, the thing that bothers me the most is just this idea that, you know, they had a comment in the um, methodology segment where they said, look, we're focusing more on outcomes because." that's what people care about now you know business school is expensive and you know people attending business school really care about how much money they're going to make afterwards to pay off their their debt and I and I get that that is a concern and it's a valid thing to be thinking about obviously but I you know I went to business school to learn I mean I you know I knew that Wharton would give me a lot of knowledge Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's getting kind of lost in the shuffle here uh unfortunately so
1: in any event and had had how do you explain Harvard's and Stanford's spot at five and six? I
0: mean, I think it has to. Do, in a nutshell, yeah, I think it has to do with the yeah. fact that um, they're sending a lot of people into very non-traditional domains, or you know, even there are people who um, aren't in as much of a rush uh, or doing recruiting that's kind of later, takes longer, and so I'm guessing that if you look at the percentage of people with a job. Uh, upon graduation and even three months out, it's much lower at places like Stanford and, and yeah. Harvard. And, and so and some of that's because these folks are saying, hey, I've, world is my oyster. I'm kind of gonna pick and choose and find some entrepreneurial opportunity or just do something different. Uh, and, and that's, you're, they're kind of, it seems to me, at least they're being kind of penalized for that, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, as we always say, we really think it's tears and that it's silly to kind of get into the, oh, this school's number 12 and this is 13, like that. And, and also, I think it just, um, yeah, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to, you know, like you're saying, to think of it in an ordinal, strictly ordinal fashion. And, and you know, finally, I mean, we, uh, you know, Tuck and Stanford are tied, as you point out. And, you know, they're both terrific programs, but I can tell you if we look at decision wire data for the last, you know, God knows how many years we've been collecting it, that, you know, people who get into both those schools pretty routinely go to Stanford, right? And and that's not a knock on talk. I mean, it just, that's just the way that the market is behaving, right? And so this ranking doesn't seem to be reflecting market behavior at all, (laughs) Um, which is a bummer because it was the last one that kind of still reflected market behavior, Um, but it is what it is.
1: It is what it is, and again, congratulations to Booth. I mean, obviously, they're doing s- some really good things over there, yeah. and and you know, to do it twice in a, two years in a row, that's that's really really good. But we would caution folks to think of the rankings more as a tiered approach, mm-hmm. and really look at you know which tiers do the schools belong in, and and the the reason for the tiers is more you know, let's say the tier that. In, in my mind, anyway, includes Booth, Kellogg, um, Columbia, and Sloan. Yeah. Um, so, four of the M7. All four of those programs are, are very comparable in terms of overall level right. of, of, of qualification and, and learning and so on and so forth. But each one of them will have strengths in different areas. So, for each individual candidate, one of those four will be better than the other three. Yeah, right. But it won't be the same one, right? Because, you know, you might be a marketing dude, you might be a finance dude that wants to be in New York, you you might be, you know, consulting person that wants to be on the West Coast and, and a different one of those four might serve you better.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So, I mean, yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's always fascinating to talk about this stuff. And at the end of the day, that's probably what US News really wants, right? Is for us to be talking about it, for people to be going to their website and clicking on this stuff. And um, the only other thing I wanted to call your attention to about these rankings is that, you know, they, they publish average test scores and there are now four or five five schools with an average GMAT score of 740. So that's Wharton, Harvard, Stanford, NYU, and Columbia. Um, And that was kind of a, you know, we often talk about, oh, 730 is kind of the top mark in terms of averages. And now that's, you know, continuing to creep up, which is pretty amazing. I mean, 740 is a big number on the GMAT, so Uh, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's that's ridiculous, but it also probably points to a trend of more test takers taking the GRE. Yeah. And only a, a, a smaller portion of the pool that knows that they test really well tackles the G Yep. driving the overall scores.
0: Bingo. Yeah, I think that's exactly what's happening. So um, I know we have a lot of other stuff to cover, so I guess we can move on from that. But um, I did want to say today is our monthly webinar for Clear Admit Plus users. So if you're a Clear Admit Plus user and you want to hang out with Alex and I for an hour, um, you can come on it's at noon Eastern and we get together and talk admissions. So looking forward to that. We also um, ran a bunch of Real Humans alumni on the website, as we've been doing. And so we um, connected... With a, a woman named uh, Sunia, who is a Georgetown McDonough grad, class of '20, who works at City. Uh, I guess her title is Business Management and Strategy VP. She's originally from Kuwait, um, and you know had a lot of interesting things to say. I'm not going to go through because we have we have a bunch of um, real humans to mention, and so I encourage people to go to the site um, to read more. But we also connected with a guy named Casey, who's a Harvard Business School grad, class of '22. He's a consultant at Bain, originally from Redlands, California. Uh, we talked with Whitney who's an NYU Stern uh, fashion and luxury uh, goods MBA uh, grad. That's that one-year program that they have. And she graduated in 22, now works at Accenture as a senior strategy consultant. And she grew up in uh, Dayton, Ohio. And then we have Alyssa who's a Michigan Ross grad, class of 22, who's also at Bain & Company working as a consultant. And Alyssa uh, comes from Evanston, Illinois. So she actually <laughs> went to Ross despite being from uh, the hometown of our number two U.S. news ranked, Kellogg. <laughs> so uh, that's kind of interesting. But she's, uh, yeah, so she's at Bain. And and again, you can read all about these um, graduates and what they're up to, what they think of their jobs and, and you know how they got into business school, how they chose their career, all that stuff. It's really good to to connect with if you're you know applying to these programs are targeting these companies.
1: Very good. Very good. Great reads.
0: Yeah. So next up uh, on Wednesday of this week, we're going to be kicking off our events season. These are all virtual events. And um, on Wednesday at noon Eastern, I'm going to MC a session with admissions directors from Harvard, uh, Berkeley, Berkeley. London Business School, INSEAD, and Wharton, who were just kind of added to that. Actually, they—I don't think when we talked about this last week, we knew they were going to be a part of it. So we got five schools, and I'm going to pepper them with questions about their application process. This is like must-listen type stuff, so please come and join us. You can sign up by going to bit.ly forward slash ca. MBA events, all one word,
1: all lowercase. I have a question you should ask them, Graham. Okay, all right. What do they think of the US news ranking? Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I mean that's I I was actually just working on the agenda for this session. So Well I'm I'm throwing that question out
1: there for you. (laughs) All right, we'll see. that's a freebie from me.
0: Yeah. Well, they are virtual. So it's not like I'll have to, I'll have to duck or anything after I ask, ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, and and just so people know, every Wednesday in May, we do these events. And so next Wednesday, will be with Duke, UNC, UT Austin. There may be one other school too. And then, you know, we're, we're connecting with Yale, Columbia, a whole bunch of schools. Just stay tuned. Uh, check out the website. And when you sign up, you can see the full list. So um, please join us for that. Uh, if you want to connect with uh, Alex and or myself, send a, uh, an email to info at at clearedmit.com and use the subject line wiretaps we will get back to you if you write to us we also are always looking for your ratings and reviews of the podcast so please spread the word Um, other than that Alex I know you picked out some candidates for us to talk about and I'm ready to do that if you are let's kick on all right so this is wiretaps candidate number one So our first candidate comes from an ApplyWire entry that you've selected, Alex. And this candidate, it's an interesting story. They have 13 schools on the current target list. Uh, And those schools are Berkeley, Columbia, Cornell, Dartmouth, Duke, Michigan, Kellogg, Stern, Chicago, UCLA, USC, UVA, and Yale. So they have a long list of potential target schools. They're going to try to start uh, in the fall of 24. Uh, This person's been working in construction and real estate um, in Columbia. So down in Latin America, uh, they are, um, I guess, thinking about asset management um, and kind of family business stuff post MBA, but it sounds like still within the kind of construction and real estate domain, if I understood correctly, their their post, Uh, they have a 323 on the GRE, a 3.35 undergraduate GPA. They also did do a a post-grad degree in corporate finance with a 3.9 GPA and they've been working for five years. They want to return to Columbia because they're going to return to their current employer. Uh, they're currently a deputy director of finance for this company and they're you know thinking of going straight back to that. There are a lot of initiatives that they want to lead. I mentioned, um, there's one other thing I should mention, which is that this person posted a few months ago and we reviewed their profile and even talked about it on the show, but I believe that they've since, um, they, they posted some updates here. So they added a, a new GRE score or maybe it's their first score. I don't even recall, but they added some, you know, they, they kind of, originally we're targeting like round three of this year they've now pushed that into round one of next year although they did float some applications out in round three before pulling back so Alex what do you what, what advice you have for this person and what's the update because I know they they did apply to some places right in this round of, of kind of round three
1: I wanted to repeat something to you Graham that's in the notes because I think it's right <laughs> up your um, wheelhouse okay Um They say the purpose of the MBA is not limited to improving my professional profile, nudge nudge to US news, (laughs) but also is a personal challenge to prove to myself that I can be an exceptional leader with the rigorous knowledge um, that is required to assume this role, which is almost to me kind of why you went to get your MBA, Graham. It's focused on what you can learn more so than just the short-term um, boost to the to the salary.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it was, I was really happy to kind of read that. And I, I think, you know, often with someone returning to an existing employer or going into a family business or something, this is a theme that we see, you know, because the person doesn't necessarily need the MBA. It's not like they're in a position where... You know, if you think of some of the banks or uh, consultancies, there's sort of the, you know, college grad jobs. And then there's the like, oh, if you've gone and gotten an MBA, you can then, uh, uh, you know, attain these other levels, you know. So it's sort of almost yeah. like a prerequisite, um, whereas they don't have to do it in theory. But they, yeah, I, I I've kind of, this energizes me to read that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, back to you, U.S. News, there are some people that are still going to get their MBA because <laughs> learn. of personal growth and not necessarily the professional right. um, short-term boost. So, so I really like that, actually. Um, you know, their GRE is 323. I do think if they can spend a bit, bit of time um, in a retake, if they boost it just by a, a couple of points, that'll make an impact. Their quant score is very strong, actually. So it's the verbal side they need to sort of boost a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so if if they can do that, I think that would be really helpful. I like their their professional experience. Um, I sort of wonder a little bit: is it family business, mm-hmm. which matters little, but um, but but I do think um, that they've probably had some really strong experience coming out of Colombia in the um, real real estate um, development sort of side of it. Um, so it's. I think this is a strong profile, assuming that the test score sort of sits well with with everything else in the profile. Um, and, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm super happy that they're targeting round one because that's always going to be better than round three or the end of the season.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And then, you know, they, they do indicate that they have kind of a narrower list of schools that they're going to hit in the first round, yeah. um, which seems to be NYU, Columbia, Kellogg and Chicago with yeah. Columbia being early decision. And I guess therefore their, their top choice. Uh, yeah, yeah we must've said this last time around, but I did wonder in light of their goals and what they want to do and the network that um, exists in Latin America, I wondered why Wharton wasn't on the list. I mean, maybe they're focused on Chicago and New York for some reason in terms of where they want to live uh, for the short, you know, during the, the during the MBA, but I, we must've said this to them before.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Wharton makes perfect sense. Columbia makes perfect sense. Early decision. Yeah. Um, you know, it's strong real estate, et cetera, et cetera. So, Um, So, yeah, and, you know, applying to four or five schools round one, it will do them absolutely no harm to be in round two if they need to be in round two because Mm -hmm. they're not overrepresented coming from Colombia and so forth. So, and, you know, coming from construction, et cetera, et cetera, that's not an overrepresented pool. Right. So lots to like, hit that first round, potentially with a slightly higher GRE would be um, strong.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Um, I want to thank them for, you know, giving us this update and yeah, we're, uh, and regularly listening to the show apparently. So, yeah. uh, yeah, we'll see how things turn out. Ho- but ho- yeah.
1: Hopefully our advice didn't completely contradict because we can't find that <laughs> <our> old episode. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't,
0: you know, I, there's no like easy way to, we need to think about how we can better flag <laughs> folks who yeah. kind of repost. I, I,
1: <laughs> I could see it in the last episode. We were like, why are they applying to Wharton? This yeah, is absolutely yeah. ridiculous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know if we can delete old episodes or not, but um, yeah. we might have to cover our tracks. But in any event, no, I think, uh, you know, want to thank them for, for posting. And yeah, we'll see how it turns out. But they, they, you know, as you say, round one's going to look a lot better than this kind of last minute round three stuff that they were originally going for. So, um, all right, let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So our second candidate this week is again from an ApplyWire entry. Uh, This candidate is, you know, early kind of targeting for 24 uh, and they've got eight schools on the list. And those schools are Columbia, Duke, Harvard, Kellogg, NYU, Stanford, Chicago, and Wharton. Uh, This person's worked in healthcare strategy at some major companies in addition to um, some investment experience at a new private equity backed reinsurer. Um, so still kind of, I guess, insurance and healthcare focused, but with a finance um, bent to it all. Uh, they're not really sure post-MBA. They have a bunch of things that they mentioned, consulting, banking, private equity, and they mentioned undecided. So they clearly are still kind of figuring that out. They have a 3.8 GPA. Uh, they have about six years of work experience to date. And they mention that they've had four jobs since graduating six years ago and a promotion at their current job. And they they shared some additional details that I wanted to mention. I mean, one of them is that they say that they've had a difficult upbringing. Um, and you know that they don't elaborate into what that is, but they feel like that's going to be a big piece of their storyline as they kind of um, pitch their candidacy. They also uh, have a you know real interest in healthcare and insurance, uh, and a lot of experience in, in both of those domains. They are wondering whether they should switch jobs um, for like consulting or corporate development or some other you know kind of role before they apply to business school. So they asked us that question, and they mentioned they're part of a whole number of like healthcare nonprofits. They're on the board for a couple of them, and they also said that their undergrad, which I remind you is a 3.8 GPA, came from a top 130 public university in the business school, and it was focused on insurance. So they're kind of wondering, you know, kind of what are their chances? And they mentioned they haven't taken the GMAT, and they're worried about it because they said that um, they, they said the GMAT would be a major shortcoming for me because I'm terrible at standardized tests. Would I have a chance um, to get into any of these top schools? So they're wondering about that. Um, what's your take on this, Alex?
1: Yeah, if they get a lousy GMAT score, it is going to be a bit troubling. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we could talk about that a little bit later. Let, let's talk about their untraditional experience as they qualify it. I'm mm-hmm. not sure how untraditional it is, quite honestly. I think it sounds really interesting experience. So, yeah, yeah it's not... Um, strategy consulting or, or investment banking or, or, or tech or whatever but I think it's really good experience potentially it looks like it um, I think they've had enough different um, roles um, that switching again just to get something a little more traditional on their CV will completely backfire like stick to where they're at and and really focus on growth and impact because every time you switch you have to reset right so you know they've they've switched. Sounds like they've switched quite a few times. So um, I would really focus on where they're at now, improving their potential for growth and whatever where they're at now, um, owning what they've done rather than being worried that it's too untraditional. I don't think it probably will be. I can imagine them having a great conversation with June Kinney, for example, at Wharton about their healthcare experiences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. Um, I think that could be really good if they've come from a difficult upbringing and that's helped inform really who they are and maybe some of their extracurriculars also. Um, I think that's really, really good. Um, So what I'm saying here, Graham, is I think there's a really lot to like here. I think they need to nail that short term goal, um, be really specific, whether it's consulting or banking, but not either or to get them to a long-term goal that they've got nicely defined. I like their long-term goal, but they've got to sort out the short-term step. Then they've got to get over this idea of the, the um, um, test score and they need to really target, obviously as well as they can, they need to give themselves at least enough time to retake the test if necessary. And as you well articulated in the um, in, in, in the comment section, you know they they're going to have to throw everything that prepping for this test, um, yeah, and and so forth. Um, but to me, that I think there's a lot to like, and I don't know how untraditional they are. They call it untraditional, which is perfectly fine, yeah. Um, and, you know, they've, they've got Wharton on their list. That's a great healthcare programme. program. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like here. And obviously the, the big issue is what, what do they get in the test score? But if they come back with a 500 on the GMAT, it will be a problem.
0: Right, because the the test is going to somehow reflect on the caliber of their undergraduate education because they have this stellar yeah. GPA, but they didn't go to a top school, you know, top 130 public university. Yeah. So we're talking about, I don't even know what that would translate to if we include private institutions in the rankings, right? So it would be a low-ranked program in theory. And so they, yeah, so to some extent, I would, as I said, you know, in the comments, yeah, they got to buckle down, try to get a good score. The other thing that I think would be interesting would be to take this healthcare or insurance angle that has really um, dominated their career to date. And make sure that it appears in the goals um, for post MBA. Whether that means like, oh, I want to get into investment banking, um, but you know, at a, at a firm that does a lot of healthcare-related transactions, yeah. um, or I want to do asset management, again, covering providing coverage for that sector or something, or I want to do con- strategy consulting. And these three consulting firms do a ton of work in the healthcare or medical devices or biotech segment. Um, so it would be good for them to get that level of precision. And and I. You know, it sounds like they're passionate about those domains, and so I don't see why it wouldn't be a, a fit to pick one of those and run with it. But in any event, that, that would be my advice to them too. I think they need to, you know, as you said, like figure out <laughs> what they want to do so that the messaging is really clear.
1: And their ultimate goal is starting a, um, a company catering to value-based care right? and improving health of others. So anchor it on that ultimate goal, and you've got a really interesting sort of profile, I think.
0: Yeah. Agreed. So I want to just wish them luck as they, I know that they, they mentioned, I mean, a lot of people are not great at these tests, but I, I do think that these tests are learnable. Uh, and I know, I know I've said this before on the show, but you know, some of the makers of these tests, whether it's ETS or GMAC or, you know, people designing these exams say, oh, you know, you can practice and get more comfortable, but we rarely see more than, you know, 20 point changes. But I routinely see people who kind of buckle down and, and, and add a lot of points to a score. So Like,
1: like yourself, Greg. It
0: happened to me. Right. So I, I think you know they should take a class or
1: what, what was your gro- what was your growth
0: uh I let's see I added a hundred uh, 90 points to my score yeah. by retaking yeah you're being so. pretty
1: modest Graham, give us the number <laughs>
0: oh <laughs> I think I went from 660 to 750 yeah so it, there you it go. and it was just I just took a Kaplan class or whatever I mean there are many classes out there I don't you know I don't want to endorse anyone but we you know I do think you can buckle down and and really um, study for this thing so and
1: i I, I would guess the prep materials Nowadays, are are more advanced and more whatever than they were when you were working with them. So
0: yeah, definitely.
1: um, So so yeah, and and probably the advice for for this candidate would be to look at the GRE versus the GMAT.
0: Yeah, that's another possible way that they could go. Yeah, absolutely. So in any event, best of luck to them. Hopefully, they'll keep us posted. Uh, Let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So our final candidate this week, uh, you've taken from a Decision Wire entry, and this is a candidate who applied to Berkeley, uh, Columbia, Tuck, Michigan, Kellogg, and Yale, and they got into Tuck, where they have a scholarship, um, ninety thousand dollars. They were also admitted to Ross with sixty k in scholarship, and Kellogg with twenty k. And then they also got into Yale. um, No dollars there attached to the offer. So it looks like they ran the table, although they did not get into um, Berkeley. But still, I mean, four, four offers from really fantastic schools and three of them with nice scholarships. So they want to get into consulting. After business school, and they don't, you know, they haven't decided which of these programs they want to attend. And they mentioned, in case you're curious, their GMAT score was a 720. They also mentioned they're a consortium admit at both Ross and Tuck, so I guess they applied to those programs through the consortium, uh, which means they're an underrepresented minority. Uh, and they're, you know, they're kind of debating. And I know. You and Elliot on our team kind of weighed in, but I want you to walk me through like what, what is your kind of initial take and how do you how does one go about thinking about these offers? And I you know, I guess on some levels for them, it's coming down to Tuck, Michigan, and Kellogg, because those are the three that are offering them some money. Um, Yale is not, so it seems like they're not really thinking about Yale, but how do you kind of recommend someone think this through?
1: Yeah, I mean they they, they got um, really good offers from really good schools that target consulting in in, in, a, in a strong sense, right? You have got Kellogg, we would say is in a tier above. Sure. Um, and then you've got Tuck and Yale that are potentially in a tier above Ross, but that's more debate. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, but Tuck and Yale typically sit between the M7 and then the rest of the top sixteen, along with um, Haas. Yeah. They didn't get into Haas actually. They did apply to mm-hmm. Haas. So, um, so so uh, you know, if if there's no money involved. Advantage Kellogg, right if you're just p- basing it purely on the tiering system sure. but there is money involved. tok is well renowned for for its um consulting um, and it places you know upwards of forty percent of folks um into consulting um Kellogg's probably about the same maybe and, and, and so forth um but so so to me, it kind of boils down to tok with more money versus Kellogg with less money right. Um, and, and yeah, you could argue both for different reasons and you've made a great choice. Like, I don't think there's any one bit of, this has to be one school over the other.
0: Yeah. What's interesting is that the person, the candidate wrote, I'm unsure of the large community at Kellogg. I guess they're thinking, you know, it's a bigger program. Um, it's obviously bigger than, than Tuck, for example. Um, but they say they're also concerned that Tuck maybe, maybe doesn't have the network or reputation yeah.
1: of Kellogg. So, so, yeah. so I'll tackle that directly. Okay. Both points I disagree with, <laughs> right? So, so, yeah, Kellogg has a larger class size. So do all the M7, right, mm-hmm. except for Stanford. Stanford's the outlier there. But really, you know, when we look at the M7, they do have larger class sizes. um, And to me, that's an advantage. So you've got larger networks of higher quality caliber people. And you can build your own little communities within these larger um, networks and and groups um, at these different schools. So you were a Wharton grad. You could have done the same at Wharton. I worked at Wharton. I mean, it's a fantastic experience. And you make your own... Um, you know, communities and so on and so forth through the club activities and various other activities. So, I'm, I'm not a big fan of this idea that these um, bigger programs, which actually happen to be the programs in the higher tiers, mm-hmm. um, are, are at a disadvantage because they're too large. It's not like 300 people are sitting in a lecture room fighting right. each other to answer <laughs> a question. Right um so so so, I disagree with that sentiment, but then I equally disagree with the sentiment that um that Tuck may in some way have um a a a a poor reputation um or that Tuck does not have the network or reputation of Kellogg now, yet yeah, again, Kellogg is a larger class size and has a larger alumni base as a function of the larger class size. Tuck is renowned for having a very passionate alumni network. The giving, the rate of giving across its network is typically stronger than any other school. Yeah. Um, so it's a smaller community and a tighter community than most every other business school. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and you mentioned before coming on air, Tuck's part of Dartmouth. So, I mean, the, its reputation has to be very strong. Now, you can be concerned with going to tuck if you don't want to live in the forests or wherever <laughs> tuck is based versus in a more suburban sort of setting. Mm-hmm. That, to me, could be a point of concern. Me personally, I would prefer to be in a tuck scenario. Mm-hmm. But I know some people, they absolutely want to be in a much more active
0: Urban. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, one of the big secrets about all these top programs is that whether they're small or big, is that the size of your cohort, which you know is a subunit mm-hmm. that these classes are divided into, is often the same. So somewhere between, let's call it 50 to 70 students in a cohort at most of these programs. Harvard's an exception. They have larger um, co- cohorts or sections, as they call them. But you know, if you look at a place like Wharton, I think it's like 65 or so students in a cohort that travel through the core curriculum together. And I believe that's the same size at Tuck, even though Tuck only has a certain number of those cohorts, I want to say four or five of them, whereas Wharton might have like 10 of them or whatever it is, right? Or or 11 or 12. Um, So, but it's, so it is interesting because it's sometimes, I I didn't know that until I got to business school. It's not something I'd really dug up. So in any event, I, this is a tricky one. I mean, I think frankly for, I mean, there's a $70,000 difference in terms of what's being offered. Uh, Tuck's giving them 70,000 more than, than Kellogg. So that you know, I feel like that does point the you know needle a little bit towards talk. I mean, I I also would want to know: does this person want to land in the Northeast? Are they kind of an East Coast person? Um, Are they looking to kind of you know go out west or you know spread things further afield? That might shape things. And as you said, obviously the setting is dramatically different for these two programs, so they would need to think about that too. But uh, again, congratulations to them. It's not like they're going to go wrong here. Um, I think they have some pretty amazing offers, and that they will definitely land on their feet and, and get that consulting job that they want, in my view. So,
1: yeah. Couldn't agree more. Yeah.
0: All right. So uh, thanks for picking these out, as always. Uh, we're, <laughs> uh, we've had a, another kind of long episode because we talked a lot about US news, but um, important stuff to cover. We'll be back in one week's time. And uh, yeah, appreciate all your work on this, Alex, as usual.
1: Yeah, no, very good. And if if for some reason when you're listening to this podcast, there seemed to be a bit of a funny break, I apologise for that. But hopefully Dennis (laughs) sorted it out and you just didn't notice. So we look forward (laughs) to seeing you next week.